see uh, see a lot of old friends and uh, old faces, and uh, some of you have gotten older than others, I notice. So uh, you guys just go ahead and eat. Uh, I raised two sons, so I'm used to talking to people while they eat. So uh, as soon as you get done, you guys have kind of got your back uh, to up here. If you want to turn around, well, feel free to do that. And uh, so we'll just move ahead, and uh, we'll let them serve you as they... Uh, they gathered up. Whoa! So, are we all right? Yeah. All right. Okay. This is an experience. So, I was reading a uh, feature article in uh, Fortune magazine uh, recently about the uh, largest company in the world. And quite frankly, I didn't know what that company, who that company was, until uh, I read the magazine. And the article, and maybe maybe some of you read it, but if you didn't, you don't know who it is. Let me give you a, a few hints. Uh, the company went public 34 years ago, so you guys that are over 34 years old, you're older than that company. Its founder was born in grab this Kingfisher, Oklahoma, in 1918, and he died in 92. Uh, their sales are bigger than IBM's annual. They're they're bigger than IBM's annual revenue. They have a quarter of a trillion dollars worth of annual sales. You guys in the real estate business, they buy over a billion dollars worth of real estate internationally annually. That'd be a nice account to have, wouldn't it? The founder's wife and four children still control 39% of the stock of the company, and the stock is worth $90 $90 billion. That's worth more than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett combined. Or, to put it in perspective, their stock is worth 117 times more than Teresa Hines Carey for what it's worth. Family, the family's $90 billion is equivalent to the GDP of Singapore. The family's dividend annual check is $880 million. Now, that's more than I make some years, fellas. (laughs) Here's the kicker. They're headquartered in a little 25,000 population town, Bentonville, Arkansas. Welcome to Walmart. Our friend Sam Walton. Why do I share that with you? Well, maybe it's kind of fascinating to some of you as it was me reading the article, but also all of us, as we look, look at back on our lives, we have certain men that have crossed our paths that have uh, profoundly affected the uh, direction of our lives. I think in my own life of my dad, I had a business mentor, my coach in high school, and probably a half a dozen other guys that because they encountered my life, my, the direction of my life went in a different, different way. And uh, in thinking about those other half a dozen guys, one of, the, one of the men that I thought of is a man that also had a, an effect on the life of Sam Walton. And I'll tell you more about him in, in just a little bit. But give you a little history on myself. I was raised... I'm a... I'm a was a native of Colorado. I was raised in a small farm town. 
south of Lamar called Springfield, a little wide spot in the road. My wife and I were both raised there. And our parents, my parents were hardworking people, had gone through the Depression. My dad was a farmer and a rancher and owned an automobile agency there. And their driving desire in life was to have more opportunities for their kids than they had. And so consequently, they made all of our major decisions till we left home. Now, some of you may not believe this, but I was 18 before I knew my name wasn't Get Wood. So, <laughs> When I came out of high school, I went to CSU, married my high school sweetheart while I was there, came out of there, taught school for three and a half years, and did a little farming and ranching, sold some vacuum sweepers at night trying to make a, a teacher's salary uh, stretch. And uh, then... I met a man in Pampa, Texas, that had just bought a franchise and built a store, and it was called Gibson Discount Centers. They were something like a Walmart that we know today. And uh, this fellow was gracious enough to show me his business and the opportunity, and I got excited and went and found a moneyed partner about 25 years older than I was because I didn't have any money, and we decided to build some of those stores. And let me tell you a little about the history of Gibson Discount Centers. Mr. G- it was started by a man by the name of Mr. Herb Gibson. Mr. Gibson was uh, an entrepreneur, and he, owned, he was a, what they called a rack jobber. A rack jobber was a wholesaler, and he wholesaled uh, health and beauty aids from hairspray to toothpaste to paper goods. And in those years, the grocery stores would not buy that kind of merchandise direct but they would go to what they called a rack jobber. And so they'd go to a rack jobber and they'd say, okay, we'll give, you 43, we'll give you 40 feet of this aisle and you bring your merchandise in, put it on the shelf with your, with your employees, and then when you sell the merchandise, we'll pay you for it. And so that was the business Mr. Gibson was in. And he had several warehouses. And so he always had a little more on his plate than he could eat. And he was just one of those guys. And, and so in the late 50s, why uh, he, a recession hit, and guess what? He got himself into some trouble. And so he's sitting one night and thinking, what am I going to do to get out of trouble? And so he thinks, well, I wonder what would happen if I would open these warehouses to the public. So he hurriedly bought a, a cash registers, and he did a promotion, And he opened those warehouses to the public, and immediately he found a new idea that worked. And the people came. And so he began to build stores, these discount stores, as quickly as he could. And so he headquartered out of a little, the suburb of Dallas, Sigaville, Texas. But he was from Arkansas. And so as he began to build stores in Arkansas, part of his strategy was to go into the smaller markets where he was the big fish in the little pond. And so he began to build stores in several of the cities in Arkansas, and uh, one of his competitors there was a man that had uh, five-and-dime stores. They called them five-and-dime stores. They would be kind of like what we know as a Woolworths or maybe you remember a Newberry or a Ben Franklin's. They sell a little everything and not much of anything, you know, or maybe kind of like a dollar store today. And so when Mr. Gibson came in and built his stores, he was just killing this guy in the five-and-dime business. And so this guy was a student enough to say, you know, he's got a good idea. I think I'll try it myself. And so as Paul Harvey says, now you know the rest of the story about 
Sam Walton. And they were friends and competitors. And uh, so I'll never forget the first time I met Mr. Gibson. I had, we'd, uh, my partner and I, we decided we wanted to buy a franchise, and I couldn't find him because he was all over the country building stores. And so finally, one New Year's Day, a friend of mine called me and said, you know, I heard that Mr. Gibson is in Lubbock, Texas today. So I was about, where I was living was about six hours from Lubbock, Texas. So I got in my car, drove down there, got there about 8 o'clock at night, and uh, he had a store in Lubbock. So I walked into the store and I asked the cashier, I said, is Mr. Gibson here? And I didn't know what he looked like. She said, yeah, he's standing right over there in the aisle. So I walked over, and he was a big man, about 6'5", and, and uh, so I walked up to him, and I'm a 25-year-old kid, and I said, Mr. Gibson, I introduced myself, and I'll never forget his opening words. He says, what do you want, Peckerwood? <laughs> now, he was too big to hit, and I wanted the franchise too bad, so I just let it pass. Today, I don't know what that meant, but... Uh, we made a deal right there on the floor. It was a handshake deal, and he gave me a franchise for the city I wanted. And so over the next five years, my partner and I built several stores in three states, and uh, we, just, we just happened to hit something that worked at the right time. It wasn't our brilliance. I was married to my high school sweetheart. We had three great, healthy kids. We were living in the right neighborhoods. I belonged to the right clubs. I was on the right boards. I was going to the right church. The American dream, and I was 30 years old. And as you can imagine, I was uh, the most satisfied, contented, happiest guy in the world. Well, that may, have looked like, that may have been what it looked like on the outside, but let me tell you what it was like on the inside. I was the most fearful and insecure guy that you could, you could ever know. And in fact, I was more insecure than when I was on a teacher's salary and barely making ends meet. Life was nothing to me but stress from morning to night. And another issue I had in my life was when I was 17, a senior in high school, my dad had unexpectedly died. And so I had never, I'd never been able to reconcile and know what to do with that whole thing of uh, reconcile the change in my life of my dad dying at that early age. See, I had no guiding rudder in my life. I had no clue what my purpose for existence was. And so, like everything else, I tried to figure out what the problem was and solve it. And so I tried to get some relief. I tried everything from uh, reading books, from comparative religions, to uh, psycho-cybernetics, to think and grow rich, to power positive thinking. I became a seminar junkie. If there was a seminar on how to manage your money or your life or your people or positive thinking, I was there, man. I was your man. And I was going to church, and nothing was working. In those little towns like I was raised in, there's two social centers. There's the school and the church. And so that's where I showed up. My family were not church goers, but I went, and I picked the church where all the pretty girls were. And that was logical to me, and uh, so that's where, in fact, that's where I met my wife. So I'd been in the, I'd been around church and in Sunday school, but I'd never read the Bible. And so about that time, I don't even know where I got it. I got a Bible that, that uh, was written in plain English. So I just began to read that Bible on my own. 
And I can remember in Sunday school, Mrs. Matthews was my Sunday school teacher. Mrs. Matthews, she'd make us memorize these little sections of Scripture. And uh, i got to tell you, they all fell through the cracks on me, with the exception of one. And one stuck with me to this day. I, I had it in my head. And you've seen it. You've seen signs of it at football games and baseball games. John 3.16. And John 3.16 says... For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, I think out of my background of hanging around the church and that Scripture and then reading the Bible, it just came clear to me that, you know, there was a God. I I didn't have any trouble with that and, and that He loved us and that He had sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, from heaven to earth, and that He was lived here on earth, He was crucified, He was buried, and He was resurrected on the third day. That wasn't any problem for me. I just, I just kind of knew that. And I knew that His resurrection and, and His uh, crucifixion, crucifixion and resurrection was, was as a payment for sin. And I didn't have any problem with sin. Sin was strictly not being able to keep God's standard. Well, I knew I couldn't do that. I couldn't even keep my own standards. My New Year's resolutions lasted about 15 days. But as I began to read the Bible, I began to see that sin was more than that. That sin was really my own selfishness, my own self-centeredness, my own attempt to live life apart from God. And so... But if that time, if you'd asked me if I was a Christian, I'd have said, yeah. After all, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm better than a lot of guys I know. And, uh, you know, I go to church. I give a little money. I'm American, middle class. You know, what else is there? And yet, something was missing. And as I began to read the Bible, I ran onto a little section that really got me to thinking. And it goes like this. For as many as receive Jesus Christ, to them He gives the right to become children of God. And that little word receive kind of hit me. For as many as receive. And so as I thought about that, I began to realize that I had an intellectual understanding of who Jesus Christ is and His dying on the cross but I had never personalized my belief. I had never received Christ as a personal Savior, and uh, I'd never really trusted Him for reconciliation with God the Creator. And that was a new thought for me. It just hadn't come up on my screen. Then as I read the Bible, I saw, I read on to another scripture that really impacted me. And it goes like this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as I thought about that, it just hit me that the reason that I was so fearful and insecure and stressed out was that I had put my trust in myself, in my wife, my business, my kids, my relationships. And yet, in my gut, I knew that at any moment, any of those things could change and I had no control over them at all. I don't know whether some of you guys remember a comic strip 
He's not around anymore. Pogo, some of you remember old Pogo? One of Pogo's favorite sayings was, the certainty of misery is better than the misery of uncertainty. Let me repeat that for you. The certainty of misery is better than the misery of uncertainty. And it dawned on me that I needed to move my trust and my business and myself, my wife, my kids, my relationships to Jesus Christ because He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if I wanted to have any certainty in my life, I had to do that. So... I read that uh, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So one night I was home. My kids were just small. My, my daughter was five and my two boys were still in diapers. My wife was at Bridge Club and I bathed the kids, put them to bed. I just went in by my bedroom, my bed, got on my knees, and I said a simple little prayer. Didn't know much, but the best I knew how, I just put my trust in Jesus Christ and His uh, crucifixion and resurrection as a payment for my sins. And then I turned, the best I knew how, turned the control of my life over to Him. i got to tell you, it was no, no emotional event or anything. But one thing came to my mind as soon as I was done praying. And it was a section of Scripture that I'd heard in church. I didn't have any idea where it was at. And it goes like this. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And gentlemen, I knew that I'd found what I'd been looking for for 32 years. It was peace of mind. I'd been looking for happiness but I just discovered that happiness is peace of mind. Being at peace with me and being at peace with God. My fear of death, from that day forward, has never been an issue in my life. Gradually, I began to be more comfortable with myself apart from how well my business was doing. I had a sense of peace and purpose that had been lacking before. My wife, she came to the same decision about three months after I did. And I have to tell you, men, she and I go back to high school, and we have always had a wonderful relationship. But after that time, we began to experience an intimacy and a love in our marriage that we didn't even know existed out there. Our three kids, all three of them, if their own time, their own way, made the same kind of decision I'm reporting that I made in my life. Fortunately, they made them at a fairly young age, and it changed their lives. The teenage years, we look back, and we see them as very positive, wonderful times. Yeah, we had our moments when they were trying to figure out how to become adults, and we were trying to figure out how to let them be adults, but overall, they were great times. Friends, kept all the friends I had. But you know, I began to develop some friends that weren't depend. The relationships weren't dependent upon what we had or where we lived or who we were. Business and career. 
A woman one time said, I'll never forget this, she said, business and careers are just large machines that slowly eat men. Well, that was descriptive of me for 32 years, man. Well, I began to gradually see the knot in my gut on Sunday night as I anticipated Monday morning melt away. I began to learn how to run my business instead of let my business run me. Quite honestly, i got to tell you, that's still a daily, daily uh, challenge for me. Well, in summary, let me just say that what I experienced in my life after I invited Christ into it is what I call four Ps. First of all, I experienced pardon. I had a clean conscience for the first time in my life. Freedom from guilt. Secondly, I had peace. Peace of mind that didn't depend upon my circumstances. Third, I experienced power. Power that to live above my circumstances and yet be in my circumstances. And I had purpose. I had a sense of significance and meaning of being part of the Creator's overall plan that I'd never had before. Well, maybe you're saying to yourself, what happened to me is extraordinary or exception to the rule. I can say not so. The same changed life through Jesus Christ is common place in all strata of society around the world and has been in history since Christ died on the cross some 2,000 years ago. I've heard stories, and I'm sure many of you had, similar kind of personal stories that I'm just telling you now, and they're from men of wealth, men of poverty, the old and the young, male and female, American, Chinese, Filipino, on and on. See, Jesus died for the world. That's all people. That includes you individually and me. I'm reminded standing here in this hotel of a time in 1993. I was downstairs in the restaurant having lunch with a young broker and builder. And so David and I were visiting about some business, and so things turned to personal matters. And so I asked David, I said, David, could I, uh, could I ask you a personal question? He said, yeah, sure, go ahead. And uh, so let me just ask you rhetorically a pers- that personal question, and uh, I'd like to have you maybe ponder it in, for you, individual. And here's what I asked David. I said, David... If we walk out of this restaurant and we go out here on I-25 and a Mack truck hits you and that's it, do you know beyond any shadow of doubt that you will go to heaven? He was a little startled at the question. And he looked at me a minute and he said, "Uh, could I think about that? I said, sure. So we finished up our business and left. Next morning, he calls me at my office and he said, you know, I've been thinking about that question. Would you uh, mind if I came by? I'd like to talk to you more about it. And so he did. So we talked about it some more and I shared more information about just the same information I just shared with you. 
And that day in my office, David bowed his head and said a simple little prayer, very similar to the one I said by my bed that night. And he invited Jesus Christ into his life. Now, I tell you that story, men, because a friend of mine and I were uh, spent all day yesterday in Denver. And I found out that David, that 35-year-old, is now 46, but he's laying in a hospital at University Hospital in Denver. He's 46 now. Three years ago, when he was 43, he went in for a, for a physical, and they discovered that he had colon cancer. He's fought her for three years. David now is... Uh, he is, uh, it's gone from his uh, colon to his liver to his lymph nodes. It's gone to his shoulders, his feet. They've amputated one toe. And uh, he, uh, first thing he said to me, first thing, almost the first thing he said to my friend and I as we saw him yesterday, he, is he said, I'm ready to go. He said, I hate to leave my wife and daughter, but I'm ready to go. And I thought as I looked at that shell of a man that I used to watch over here at the YMCA on Nevada bench press. And yet, yesterday, David demonstrated those four Ps that I just shared with you in his life. Pardon, yeah, see, he knows that he's, his sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Peace. Yeah, he's at peace with God and with himself. Power. Well, yesterday there weren't any physical bench presses. But there were more powerful spiritual presses. He was telling us how all, all kinds of new doctors are coming in looking at him and seeing him. And they're looking at his chart and they're saying, you know, you shouldn't be alive. And his response is, you don't know my Jesus. Purpose. David's battled this thing for three years. And he's days or weeks from going to heaven. But he knows that in this process, it's been God's purpose in all of this. He doesn't know what. But I thought about that. And maybe, just maybe, this is conjecture on my part, just maybe, Jesus is demonstrating to us that know David, his own reality, through how David lived his life. And now, Jesus is showing his own reality through how David is dying. Well, I'm going to close here shortly. And uh, maybe there's some of you in the same position I was when I was 32 and what position David was in when he was 35. Maybe you need pardon, peace, power, and purpose in your life. If you don't have it, this, this may be the day that you need to transact some business with God. And... If so, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment in a personal and a private manner to do that. But some of you sitting here may be thinking, you know, I need to get my act together first, and then I'll do that. 
Well, if you're thinking that, you've missed the whole point. The point is, that's what Jesus Christ is all about. Man, we can't get our act together. Getting our act together is humbling ourselves before Jesus and saying, I'm a failure. I can't get it together, and I need you to come in and forgive me and give me the power to live the life that I want to live and you want me to live. Maybe there's some of you here that are saying to yourself, you know, I've messed my life up so much and some of the things I've done, God would never forgive me. He would never accept me. Well, again, you've missed the point. That's what Jesus Christ on the cross is all about. See, God, the Bible says that God demonstrated His love for us while we were yet sinners by Christ dying on the cross. See, Christ died. God loves all men. Christ died for all. 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 That means you. You, you, and me. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in and be with him and he and I with him. Gentlemen, I'm going to close in a, in a prayer and I'm going to just out loud say a simple little prayer like I said by beside my bed when I was 32 or when David in my office, the same kind of little prayer. And if that's the desire of your heart, then I would just encourage you just in the quietness of your own heart because it's between you and God. And it's not the words so much. It's the intent of the heart. If that's really what you want, Jesus says, I'll come and I'll be with you. I'll give you. I'll give you pardon. I'll give you peace. I'll give you power. I'll give you purpose in life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You that You have loved all of us and You showed Your love through Jesus Christ by dying upon the cross for us. And now, Father, I would pray that You would uh, really speak to any of these men that have not invited Christ into their lives right now. And let me just repeat the simple little prayer like I said some years ago. Dear God, I thank You that You sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. Right now, I want to put my trust in the fact that He died for my sins. And I ask You to forgive me through Jesus. And I also ask the Spirit of Jesus to come in me and empower me to be the man You want me to be and that I really want to be. Jesus, we thank You for coming into these men's lives. Amen. Gentlemen, let me just suggest two...